Welcome to the Waukesha Bible Church Podcast. We believe the Bible tells a single story, and at the center of that story is Jesus. If you like what you hear today, additional sermons, teaching sessions, and written material can be found on our website at waukeshawbible.org. We hope you enjoy today's episode. We're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 through 38. And as Jeff prayed, we are wrapping up, as it were, our formal study of Exodus. Uh, But we are living indeed in strange times. There seems to be some additional stress placed on all of us, whether it's because of the pandemic or because of politics. We all seem to be slightly edgy. And I trust that as we come here, we are coming to hear from God, from his word, to just engage one another as a family As a fellowship, realizing the Spirit of God is moving, God is having His way, God will win on Tuesday, amen? God will win. I'm very comfortable and confident knowing that God has all of this under control. I thought about this throughout the week as I I drive to church and and I think on these things. And all week, we as a, a church family are preparing a meal, especially with Thanksgiving on the horizon, but we're preparing a meal every week, and every week we come together as a fellowship to partake of that meal, and we are coming expecting to be fed, we're coming expecting to be ministered to, we're, we're expecting it to be of value, it to be of profit, and so I pray this morning as we come together as a family of families that we're coming together as if it were Thanksgiving, and we are expecting to be fed from the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, and that we'll have a clear understanding of who God is, what God has done, and who we are because of that. As I've looked at the text, and I'd like to read it, but as I've looked at the text, it reminds me of a welder's spark. And listen to what the text says. In verse 34 of Exodus 40, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of Yahweh, the glory of Yahweh, filled the tabernacle. Verse 35, And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of Yahweh filled the tabernacle. Then you have this editorial statement in verses 36 through 38. It's expanded on in Numbers 9. But it says, Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up, for the cloud of Yahweh was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have as your people to be gathered in this place. Father, it is our desire, like Moses, to see your glory. And we know that in the absence of mediation, we cannot enter into your presence And so, Father, we thank you that you have made a way. But help us to understand your weight. Help us to see that you are God. So guide us in our thinking. Help us to understand this text. We do ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our primary idea is that God's glory, God's glory as we see it manifested in the tabernacle, is so blinding. And so impenetrable, it creates this barrier that in the absence, in the absence of mediation, our own sin would keep us forever from entering in and seeing God. 
And that's the image we have inside of this particular text. But let's understand some background material to this text. We have come to the end of Exodus. We've been looking at Exodus. It has personally been of great benefit to me as an individual. But there are four things we want to note. First of all, the high watermark. The book has built to this point. God promises earlier that he will dwell with his people, and now he is going to be dwelling with his people. So there is a climax to the book, a conclusion to the book that is found inside of this paragraph. In addition, it is incredibly brief. You have two statements made, the glory settles, Moses cannot enter, and then you have this editorial comment saying that whenever the cloud lifted, Israel would move. Whenever it settled, Israel would stop. So you have it in a very brief statement, all that has been happening or transpiring within the book itself. Then it is indeed fulfillment. God said he would dwell among his people, and now he is doing the very thing he promised he would do. He's dwelling among the people. And then it's highly functional. As the cloud lifted, they would follow. As it settled, they would stay. But you have this idea inside the text that the glory of God is now settling. It's filling this tabernacle. And because of that filling, because of that glory, verse 35 says, Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of Yahweh filled the tabernacle. I would like to consider this idea of God's presence, of God's glory. What does that look like and what does that mean for us today? This same kind of imagery is present when King Solomon dedicates the temple in 1 Kings 8 and 2 Chronicles 5. The temple is dedicated, the glory of God fills the temple, and the priests are unable to enter because of God's glory, God's presence. Now, the primary intent of this paragraph is to show how God's design for his people is always to dwell with them for their joy. We've seen that in initial creation, and now we see it here. God's presence is for their joy. His intent is to give this visual confirmation of his faithfulness to do exactly what he said he would do. He's going to inhabit this tabernacle for their joy. But let's consider this thought of God's glory. What exactly is this glory? There are six thoughts that I want us to consider concerning the glory of God. When we talk about the glory of God, it isn't something that we assign to him or exists as a standalone attribute or quality. The glory of God is the radiance of his being. And it's also used with this idea that we are honoring God or we're respecting God. We're acknowledging that he is God. And you think about that for a moment. When we gather as the people of God, it's creedal in nature. We're making a confession that Jesus Christ is Lord, that God the Father has raised him from the dead. When we do that, when we affirm that, when we confess that, we are honoring God. We are respecting God. We do that as a fellowship. We do that as individuals. But when we talk about the glory of God, we are talking about this weight, this honor, this respect that we give him. And you think about the polar opposite of what the unbelieving world is doing out there. They are not honoring God. They're not respecting God. That's something that we do as the people of God. And we give then God glory. We are respecting God. The second thing about this glory is that it is something seen. It is a very visual, tangible, and concrete thought. Think about the passages in Exodus we have already considered. 
Exodus chapter 16, verse 7, it says, And in the morning you shall see the glory of Yahweh. It's something visual. Exodus 16, 10, They looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of Yahweh appeared in the cloud. It, again, visual, tangible, concrete. Exodus 19, 18, Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently. Chapter 20, verse 21, So the people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. So this glory is not only something we assign as, as, a far, as far as saying we honor God, we respect God for who he is and for what he does, but it's something that's equally visual. It's something that is seen. In Exodus 24, verse 16, it says, The glory of Yahweh abode or settled upon Mount Sinai. And it says, And the sight of the glory of Yahweh was like devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. And then in our text, the cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of Yahweh filled the tabernacle. Biblical theologian Wayne Grudem defines the glory in the following way. God's glory is the created brightness that surrounds God's revelation of himself. So there's a sense in which when we give God glory, we are recognizing him for who he is. But this glory is equally visual. It's tangible. It's concrete. It is something seen. It appears. And Wayne Grudem notes, it is the created brightness that surrounds God's revelation of himself. This glory is the visible manifestation of the excellence of God's character. So not only do we give God glory for recognizing him for who he is, but it is something that is equally seen. It's visual. It appears. The third thing about this glory is that the glory of Yahweh, and listen to the language of Scripture here, the glory of Yahweh is the intent and end of all creation. The glory of Yahweh covering the earth is his end game. What God began in the garden shall not end until it reaches complete saturation. Listen to the language here. It says in Isaiah 11 verse 9, and as I read through the Bible, it's interesting how this idea keeps reoccurring because it is God's vision for all things created. Isaiah 11 verse 9 says, They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge or the glory of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. And I thought, you know, for a visual, when you think of the created order, what we see, God's intent is that his knowledge, his presence, who he is, is going to permeate and saturate everything created so that no matter where you go, you see his glory. And I thought to myself, it's very much like filling up a glass of water from a pitcher that the glass cannot contain. It just keeps going over and over and on and on and on. A day is coming, Isaiah eleven nine 9 and Habakkuk tells us, a day is coming when the knowledge or glory of God is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. So everywhere you look, God will be present. This is that glory. Listen to a few passages of scripture. Numbers fourteen twenty one. but as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of Yahweh. Isaiah 6, verse 3, And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So when we talk about the glory of God, we're talking about something or someone that's going to cover all things created. So that no matter where you go, you will see God's presence. It's very visible. It's very tangible. 
is very concrete. Psalm 98, verse 2, the Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Zechariah 14.9, and Yahweh will be king over all the earth. In that day, Yahweh will be the only one and his name the only one. At Waukesha Bible Church, we have a vision. Our vision is God's vision. And what is God's vision? God's vision is that the knowledge of God is going to go global until everything everywhere is permeated with his presence. You'll see it. You'll be in it. And what we have happening in Exodus 40, verse 35, will happen globally. When the glory of God filled the tabernacle, Moses was unable to enter because of the blinding light, because of the impenetrable barrier. Moses could not enter into that glory. But one day, just as the glory of God has filled the tabernacle, so also will it fill the entire earth. The fourth thing about this glory is that the glory of Yahweh is not the cloud. They sometimes appear together. They overlap, but they are indeed distinct. The cloud is something that would guide the nation and guard the nation. The cloud represented God's presence. But this glory was the presence. Humanity cannot bear the weight of God's unveiled glory. It is interesting when you begin to see how all of the various passages connect, how in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, we talked about the attributes of God. And let me simply read them again in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. You'll remember that Moses prayed the prayer, show me your glory. And God said, nobody can see my full glory and live. So God takes Moses, he puts him in the cleft of a rock, He puts his hand over Moses, he removes his hand, and the name of Yahweh, Yahweh, is declared. And this is what is said in verse 6. Yahweh passed before him, chapter 34, and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And it's interesting, verse 8, we'll get there in just a moment, but it says, and Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. When Moses saw and heard the goodness of God pass before him, his knee-jerk response was to bow down quickly and worship. In Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, we have this listing of God's attributes. The attributes or descriptions of God's nature are being cataloged into two broad categories. And when you talk about the attributes of God, and we have done this already prior to this study, but when you talk about the attributes of God, we typically catalog them into two categories. The first category is called the greatness or the incommunicable attributes of God, God's omniscience, God's God's omnipresence, God's omnipotence. These are things that he does not share with his creature. We do not have these things. The listing or the second category are the goodness of God or the communicable attributes. Those are the attributes in his relationship to us. That's what's declared in Exodus 34 verses 6 and 7. God's goodness, mercy, faithfulness. That's what's being declared in Exodus 34. But even that Moses could not 
process he could not handle. God in his entirety as God is something that you and I cannot process. We cannot approach. It becomes this blinding light when God exposes himself in his fullness to us. It becomes a blinding light and an impenetrable barrier. That's the glory. So when the glory of God filled the tabernacle, Moses was pushed out of. He could not enter into that tabernacle. The fifth thing concerning this glory is that the glory of Yahweh is a blinding light. A blinding light. I thought to myself, well, maybe the glory of God is like a beautiful sunrise. But when we see a beautiful sunrise, we are in oftentimes going, oh, oh, man, that's just great. You get up early in the morning and you're taking a walk and you're awed by that sunrise. That sunrise, though, is highly attractional. You see it and it's something that's totally awesome. Well, I liken it then to something different than the sunrise. I'm not inviting you at all to look into this. Okay? But if I, just, just seeing the reflection causes me to have these little uh, sparklies going on in my head. If you have one of these lights and you turn it on and you look into it, you're crazy. But that thing is bright. And your first response to the brightness of that light is to recoil from it. If you've ever been around a welder and you see them to start, start welding, they always wear, they should, <laughs> but they wear a helmet. They have something that blocks their view from that spark. Because if you look at that spark, you won't be looking long. Are you with me on this? You have to have some kind of barrier blocking that from your eyesight. Otherwise, you can't process it. So rather than this beautiful sunrise, when we think of the glory of God, we need to be thinking welder's spark. We need to be thinking a blinding light. We need to be thinking of an impenetrable barrier. That's what God's glory is like. The last thing we note here is not only is it a blinding light, you cannot look into it without being blinded. It it just pulls you back, but the glory of Yahweh is equally an impenetrable barrier. It is not only so brilliant, but it's also this, this thing that you cannot enter into. His glory forms this impenetrable barrier that separates himself from all things created and sinful. It's that incredible. But we think, well, you know, God. Well, God in his glory, the magnitude of God in all of his attributes is this blinding light. It's this impenetrable barrier. There's no possible way to get in. I thought it was interesting. What are some of the most impenetrable places on earth? Well, let me just cite two of them. Uh, The first is the Vatican Secret Archives. Only qualified clergy and academics are allowed inside the Vatican secret archives. Even those granted entry inside the facility cannot view items without advance approval. So I have no idea how many people have actually been in there or if anyone having gone in there is able to walk through all of it unhindered. But we are kept from going into the Vatican's secret archives. The second place was Fort Knox. Fort Knox is home to the U.S. Bullion Depository where it is not only stores thousands of tons of gold, and all I want is a little bit, but is also said to house important historical documents such as the Magna Carta and the Declaration of Independence. Its impenetrable layers of protection include solid granite wall perimeter, 
squadrons of machine gun wielding guards and armed military, and a 22-ton vault blast door <laughs> held shut by a lock so intricate that it requires a 10-person team to unlock. Those are places that are indeed impenetrable. But God is more so. God, in all of his glory, and all of his weight, is like a blinding light and an impenetrable barrier. There's no possible way we in and of ourselves can enter into it. We are barred from his presence. We are removed from his appearance. The glory of Yahweh is impenetrable. Fortunately for us, the mediation of Jesus is thorough. But what is our response to all of this? When you read the scripture, it describes individuals who have come into or seen this glory. We note it in Israel, chapter 19, verse 6, in the book of Exodus. It says that the people saw the glory of God, the presence of God on top of Mount Sinai, and it says that they trembled. They were afraid of encountering this living God. They were fearful of being destroyed. In Leviticus chapter 16, verse 2, the priesthood is told not to go into the Holy of Holies. Why? Because they might die. 1 Kings 8, 2 Chronicles 7 all speak of the fact that when the glory came, the people were pushed out. In Judges chapter 6, verse 22 and 23, it says, And when Gideon saw that he was the angel of Yahweh, he said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of Yahweh face to face. And Yahweh said to him, Peace to you, do not fear, you shall not die. If you and I, without mediation, came into the presence of God, we would be struck dead. All those movies concerning the Ark of the Covenant are true. Samson's father, Manoah, in Judges 13, verse 22, having seen the angel, he says, we shall surely die, for we have seen God. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, he wrote, Woe is me, for I am ruined, for I am an individual of unclean lips. Peter, in the presence of Jesus, said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. In Revelation 1.17, John, when he saw him, fell at his feet like a dead man. In Revelation 15.8, it speaks of the glory of God filling the temple. And it says that no one was able to enter the temple. This blinding light and this impenetrable barrier instinctively causes us to recoil in fear and awe who God is in his Glory separates him from whom we are in our sinfulness. It is of interest when we read this entire storyline, our response to all of this is that sin does indeed bring separation. There's no question about this. Sin will always bring separation, not just in the horizontal, but equally in the vertical. And sin demands mediation. There's no possible way for me to enter into that presence apart from some form of mediation. But thankfully, grace brings restoration. If we were to follow the movement within the book of Exodus and then Leviticus and Numbers, in Exodus chapter 40, we end with the glory of God filling the tabernacle and Moses not able to enter. Leviticus picks up where Exodus leaves off. 
Exodus says he cannot enter. Leviticus 1.1, the Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. Moses is still on the outside looking in. But by the time we get to the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 1, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting. Think about what's taking place. The glory of God fills the tabernacle. It pushes Moses out. Because it is a blinding light, it is an impenetrable barrier. Leviticus 1.1 begins by saying that God now speaks to Moses outside of the tent of meeting. Then Numbers 1.1 says that now Moses is in the tent of meeting. What's happened? Leviticus has happened. What is Leviticus all about? Leviticus is all about mediation. You have a priesthood. You have feast days. You have sacrifices. All of them speak to this idea of mediation. What is our response? We are pushed away by this glory. It is impossible for us to enter in in the absence of mediation. We are pulled out of, pushed away. But what do we do to enter in? How do we enter in? How do we get into this presence? How do we see God? Listen to the language. For there is one God in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is for us our mediator. Hebrews says that Jesus Christ is this substance of mediation. Hebrews 8, verse 6, But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant. Hebrews 9, 15, And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, the New Covenant. Hebrews 12, 24, And to Jesus the mediator of the New Covenant. Jesus Christ becomes for us the means of entering into the glory of God. God has not changed. God is still this blinding light. God is still this impenetrable barrier. But how do we enter into that presence? It is always through mediation. That's what we see from Exodus 40, Leviticus 1.1 to Numbers 1.1, the book of Leviticus. But what we see in shadow form is fulfilled in Christ. Christ is the ultimate mediator who mediates for us so that we can enter into his presence. And I think about this, because the scripture is telling this single unified story, and at the center of it is Jesus Christ. And I thought to myself about John 14. Let me read you John 14. Jesus is in the upper room, and he says in verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And I believe all this is Eden talk, it's tabernacle talk, it's temple talk. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? How are we going to enter into this place of glory? How are we going to occupy one of these rooms? And Thomas asks the question, how are we going to get there? And what does Jesus say? Jesus says to him, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one is going to come to the Father. No one is going to enter into that glory, that blinding light, 
that impenetrable barrier, no one's getting in except what? Through me. Jesus Christ is the one through whom we come into the Father's presence. He is for us that mediating presence. We can enter into God's glory. How? Through Jesus. That is the only way. And I thought, as familiar as that verse is, we think of John chapter 14, verse 6, and we know that no one can be saved apart from Jesus. We all believe that. And we say, well, I know John 14, 6. I've got it. But what we end up doing is that we take John 14, 6, and we put it on a shelf in a room, and then we don't visit it again. We separate ourselves from that idea. How did we get into the Father's presence? We got in through Jesus. How do we continually stay in the Father's presence? Through Jesus. So it's not so much something that I have at the front end. It's like a vest that we put on and that we are always wearing. So every moment of every day, because of Jesus, I can enter into the Father's presence. That's how good this is. So right now, I'm wearing John 14, 6. I'm wearing Jesus. Jesus is God's ultimate mediator who mediates for me so that I can enter into that glory. It's mine because of Jesus. What do we do with a text like this? So we have in Exodus chapter 40, the glory of God filling the tabernacle. This is confirmation that God is making good on a promise that he will dwell among his people. But that glory is a blinding light. That glory is an impenetrable barrier. How do we get in? Leviticus says it's through mediation. When we get to Jesus, we find out that he is the ultimate mediator that provides mediation for us so that we can come into that presence. He is not only the front end, the means, but he maintains. He's always mine. This is what happens. What do I want us to see? Three short things. First, feel the weight of your own sin-separating inability. You need to own it. You can't. You can't get in and you can't stay in without Jesus. Last week, we learned that we must remember the promise and we must reject the lie. The lie says you can. The promise says he can and did. We go to the promise and you have to feel the weight of your own sin-separating inability. You can't. You can't. The second thing is that we need to flee to Jesus as our only hope in this life and the life to come. Your sin is always going to separate, but Jesus Christ is always going to mediate. Remember 1 John chapter 2, 1 and 2? I have written these things to you that you don't sin, but if any man does sin, which indeed you will, you have an advocate, a mediator, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is always mediating in your behalf. That's what he does. When Deacon Stephen was being stoned in Acts chapter 7, verse 55, it reads, But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked up steadfastly into heaven. He saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Jesus was standing, interceding, mediating for Stephen, ready to receive him, but mediating between the glory of God and and Stephen. This is what Jesus does. Every day we need to realize that we need Jesus. 
And Jesus is mediating in our behalf. And then finally, in all of your success and failure. In all of your success and failure, thank God you have a mediator before the Father and his name is Jesus. Jesus right now, right now is doing for you what you could never do for yourself. He is mediating for you. And this is what Jesus does. Let's have a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to consider these things. We have read of your glory. That glory is a blinding light. That glory is an impenetrable barrier. We cannot enter into your presence. Father, we are thankful for Jesus. You have created a way in type and shadow through the book of Leviticus that enabled the priesthood to enter into that holy place and the high priest to come into the holy of holies to offer mediation in behalf of the people. And Father, all of that is fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And apart from him, no one ever is going to enter into your presence. You are ever interceding for your people. Father, thank you for that. May this truth be something we wear each and every day. Help us, Father, to look upon Jesus, who is both the author and finisher of our faith. We ask this in his precious name. Amen.